It is well. Thank you so much, uh, worship team, for leading us in that song. If you have your Bibles today, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to share a message with you that I've been very much looking forward to. It's on the subject of prayer, and it has to do with a dialogue that Christ had with a Roman centurion, an unnamed Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8. And let me just reiterate what I said earlier, that if you are a guest today, we're very glad that you're here. Pray that you make yourself at home. If you have a question or there's anything we can do for you to help you, uh, please let it be known. Our people are very, very friendly, very kind, and right after the service even, if you need a if you need something, if you have a question, please ask us, and uh, we'll, we'll try to help you out. But today, uh, we're going to get to share this message with you on the subject of prayer. We are a church that is focused on prayer. Uh, our mission statement as a church is to be a, a radiant church that worships God, that disciples one another in the Scriptures, and it also is a church that shines brightly the, the light of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. You say, well, how do you do that? How do you accomplish those lofty objectives and goals. Well, uh, there are four things that we focus on. One of them is prayer. The other one is to care for people, obviously. Thirdly is to share, share the gospel, share our lives, share our means, our substance, share with others, and then to celebrate. And so we're going to be focused throughout the year on prayer, and even in the foyer in the ministry mall, there are sign-up sheets for you to sign up to be a part of our Warriors on the Wall, which is the name of our prayer ministry here at Great Hills. I appreciate so very much many of you who are prayer warriors at Great Hills. Thank you on behalf of our staff. Thank you because you are the ones who lift us up in prayer uh, on a daily, consistent basis, and I know many others do as well. So today I hope to encourage us to all be uh, involved in the ministry of prayer, whether it's Warriors on the Wall or whether it's in our own devotional lives with the Lord or whether it's in big church, collective church that we focus on, this wonderful spiritual discipline called prayer. I don't remember who said it, but it is a powerful quote, and it goes like this. Before God ever does a great work, He always starts His people a-praying. Before God ever does a great work, whether that's in your individual life or in your family or in your home or in your church or in your city or in our nation, before God does anything momentous, miraculous, marvelous, before God does that, He puts within the hearts of His people this insatiable desire to spend time with Him in prayer. You said that? I recognize that. Why is that? I don't really know. I just know that's the way God operates. That's just one of His fundamental principles of Himself that He has revealed to us that whenever He's about to do something great, He starts us praying, and it could be that we'll be quick to give Him the praise for it. So today, I want to share this message with you, and the title is a little different, but stay with me. It's called Believing Prayer. I I know oftentimes we pray and we don't believe. And we just kind of go through the motions. I don't know if you're guilty of that, but I'm guilty of that. I catch myself just kind of going through rote words and memorized statements, and, and sometimes it's not attached with that, that wonderful fundamental tenet of actually believing what I am praying. So I want to encourage you as I encourage myself in this message called Believing a Prayer. Our text is so exciting. It's Matthew chapter 8. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 5 in just a moment. And what I want to do is a little bit differently today. If you're following along with me in your Bibles, or if you're doing the PowerPoint, our media team, thank you so much. Uh, It's going to be a little bit different sermon today. What I want to do is I want to go through each verse, verse by verse, 
and give some explanatory thoughts and some exegesis, some explanation of what those words mean and what that text means. And then at the end, toward the very end, we'll take a few moments and you have an outline there in your worship guide, and I want to share with you four salient principles, key factors about the doctrine of prayer. So, stay with me because it's going to be a little bit, it's kind of almost like a, a homily, as they teach you in seminary and in your homiletics class. A homily is where the pastor just kind of walks through the text, gives explanation, and then today we're going to give you some things that you can hold on to that I hope will encourage you and help you in your prayer life. Would it be okay to pray before we preach on prayers? I don't I think that'd be a good thing. So why don't we do that? Why don't we pray together? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, take a deep breath, just thank the Lord that you're here today. He's given you the health, the strength, the mobility. Saw Clarence Joe Sam just a few minutes ago. Praise the Lord, he was here today. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that we are in your presence, God. And thank you, God, that you are here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, and there is liberty, there's freedom. There are all the fruits of the Spirit, God, and we rejoice in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Almighty God, we just praise You, we worship You, we ask now that You'd speak to us through the sacred text. Thank You, Lord, for the grand honor and privilege it is to preach Your Word as the pastor here at Great Hills, and may You speak to me, God, speak through me. May I just be a conduit, Lord, may I get out of the way. And the people don't really even see me, God, they don't really even hear me. They hear a deeper voice, a greater voice. They hear the voice of the Spirit of God as it interacts and connects with the Word of God, and it benefits and blesses the people of God so that the world would hear the gospel. Lord, answer our prayer, we pray. Speak to us, God. We're ready, Lord. We're hungry. We need You, Lord. We want You to speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, greatest sermon ever preached. Chapter 8, verse 1 says that there was a great multitude of people who were following Jesus. After there on the Sea of Galilee, He preached that momentous, powerful sermon. You remember it, Matthew 5 through 7. And then in Matthew chapter 8, the Bible says lots of people, I mean hordes and throngs and multitudes of people, they were, they were following Jesus because they knew that there was something different about Him. They knew that He not only spoke eloquently and powerfully, but He, he seemed to have the very power of God on His life. And so they began to watch Him as He healed people, as He ministered to the crowds, as He raised the dead, as He touched the lepers, as He did all these supernatural, momentous, miraculous events. And people are looking at Him going, something unique about Him. So in 8.5, the Bible introduces us to this wonderful dialogue between the centurion and Christ, and the Word of God says, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum. Now Capernaum was the Galilean headquarters of Jesus' ministry. You may want to write that down, you never know, you may need that sometime on Biblical Jeopardy or whatever, but it's the Galilean headquarters of Jesus' ministry. I've been to Capernaum. I've been to the actual synagogue where Jesus went in and taught right across the way from Peter's mother-in-law's home. And so, it's just all right there. And when I walked in those sacred columns there many years ago, I, I, I realized this was the very place that Jesus Christ Himself stood and taught His Galilean headquarters there in Capernaum. Now, a centurion came to Him. 
Centurions are mentioned often in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that every time the Bible mentions a centurion, it's in a positive light? A positive light. In fact, there's coming out a movie just next month. It's called Risen. It's by Sony Pictures, a firm film. Maybe you've seen it advertised. It's the story of a centurion. A centurion during the life of Christ and how God reveals Himself to this centurion through the resurrection. And I had a chance to preview it in Orlando, Florida. And in fact, this Friday, um, thanks to some good folks here at Great Hills, we have rented out a theater just across the street, and I've invited pastors, senior pastors and their wives, and we've invited them to come and watch this movie called Risen. And I'm telling you, it is very well done, very powerful, and I want to encourage you to go see it when it comes out. But what's so fascinating about it, it's about a centurion and how he interacts with Jesus. This centurion came to Jesus, now watch this, and he pled with him. I like to describe it this way. He prayed with eyes wide open. It's, in, it's a present active participle. He kept on pleading. He kept on pleading and begging and asking of Jesus. Now, that's a great example of prayer, if you will. A lot of times we think of prayer is we're in, a, we're in our closet and, hey man, how about the war room, the lady in the closet? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that an awesome movie? Thank you all for coming out and seeing it last night. I wasn't here, but I got a chance to see it many weeks ago. It's awesome. So a lot of times we think of prayer, we're in our closet, and that's great. Sometimes we can pray with our eyes wide open. Hey, listen, when God is right in front of you, you need to talk to Him. And that's what Centurion did. Mr. Centurion, he said, Lord, that's very important. In verse 6, he said, Lord, curios. Uh, um, it, it tells us something about the centurion. He did not say, hey, you, hey, rabbi, hey, dude, hey, teacher, preacher, guy. No, but with great reverence and with great respect for the person, he gives him this appellation, this title, and he says, Lord. And really, when you, whenever you say Jesus is Lord, what are you doing with your lips? Are you saying L-O-R-D? But with your volition and with your heart and your mind and your soul, you are literally, literally prostrating yourself before Him and saying, you are God, you are Lord, you are boss, and I am beseeching you and I am pleading you. And that's the proper posture, by the way, of prayer, is coming into the Lord's presence with great humility. He said, my payas is at home. My payas. When I first read that, I thought servant, well, it just means one of his adult servants in his home is hurt and sick. But whenever that word is used in the Greek New Testament, it always refers to somebody 12 years of age or younger. So you got this raw bone, powerful centurion who's coming to Jesus with a broken heart, a kind spirit, if you will, pleading on behalf of a 12-year-old, possibly, servant, a servant child back home who has been stricken with paraludikos. The Greek word there translated paralyzed is paraludikos. It's where we get the word paralytic. How did he become a paralytic? Well, we don't know. A lot of times the Bible doesn't give us the answers. It just says he was paralyzed. I, I begin to conjecture, and this is just purely me conjecturing. Perhaps he had fallen and he was paralyzed. Uh, perhaps he had some, some disease, some kind of uh, malady or illness had stricken his young body. Maybe he was demonically oppressed. I don't know, but I do know this. He's hurting 
And the centurion knows that his only hope and help is God, and the centurion runs to God and pleads with him and begs him for help. Do you know a centurion was the highest ranking non-commissioned officer in the elite Roman army? He was the backbone of the Roman army. I was reading this week. I learned something this week. I always love learning. It says that he commanded a cohort of 80 soldiers. I said, well, that's not right because a century means what? He says, well, you're mistaken. That's what the scholar told me. He said, you're mistaken. It was 80. I said, okay. So he's got 80 men under his command. Centurions were not a part of the Roman aristocracy, but they were men that possessed two things. They, they possessed influence in the local affairs of the town, of the city, and they possessed affluence because many times they were men of means, men of wealth. So do you, are you there yet? Have you entered into that world, that epic, that milieu of time when this centurion, who knows, maybe he's still dressed in his regal, uh, you know, apparatus, and, and maybe he approaches Christ, and people are going, whoa, man, y'all, y'all get out of the way. There's a centurion, and he just makes his way right to Jesus, and he says, Lord, and when he says that, it just breaks down all the barriers, and, and he says, Lord, my child servant is home paralyzed. Maybe there's a tear in his eye. He says he's dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I'll come. I'll come and I'll help him. Don't y'all love that? Don't you love when you come to Jesus and say, listen, I'm, I'm a mess. My house is a mess. My kids are a mess. My finances are a mess. My marriage is a mess. Everything is a mess. We are dreadfully tormented. God, do you think you might be able to help me? And, and Jesus tells you these words, I'm here and I'm going to help you. Ooh, that just gives me great hope and gives me great encouragement. Verse 8. The centurion answered and said, everybody say it together. What did he say? Lord. Ah. The Bible mentions something twice. It's very significant, within, especially within just a couple of verses. Do y'all hear the respect? Do y'all hear the reverence for Christ in these words? Lord, I am not worthy. Now, guys, I'm telling you that if you want to go and have a great prayer life with the Lord, you, you've got to understand who you are. You have to understand who God is. You've got to understand He's God and you're not. It has to be the spirit of humility, this subservient, vassal approach where you're saying, God, you're awesome. God, you're above. I am below. I recognize who you are. You are Lord, and I am unworthy. Guys, that's powerful because He is a centurion. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he can say, hey, rabbi, teacher, miracle working dude, I represent Rome. You are under my authority. Get yourself over to my house and heal this young man. And that's not the way he approached it. And that's not the way we pray. We come before God and we're very humble and we're very broken and we're saying, God, I am not worthy that you'd even look at me, but would you help me? He says, I'm not worthy that you should even come under my roof. Wow. In fact, he's saying, Jesus... I mean, I don't want to bother you. I know you're busy, and I know you're preaching, and you're reaching the crowds, and you're, you're raising the dead, and man, you're healing lepers. And, and, and if you, listen, you don't even have to come to my house, but if you'll say the word, if you just speak the word, my servant 
will be healed. I'm going to tell you something, guys. That's great humility coupled with great faith. God, you don't even have to come because, first of all, you, you don't need to come because I'm not even worthy. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, if I were to come to your church, the roof would cave in on my head. And I said, no, no, it wouldn't. A lot of times people think they, well, no, 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 I, I, I just, um, no, no, no. You, you come to God with humility and brokenness, and God meets you. Now, no, notice what the centurion says next. He says, for I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and I say to the next one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And, and so, he's not giving Jesus a lesson in centurionology. He is just telling Jesus, I, I know who I am, and I know who you are. I'm a man under authority. Rome is my authority, and I am a person of authority. I can tell any of those 80 to 100 men, they will not, they will not bat an eye, they will not debate, they will do exactly what I ask them to do. So I get authority. You are under authority because there is no way, no way under heaven you could do what you do unless God the Father had sent you and Im imbued, endued you with great power and authority. I'm under authority and I know you're under authority. Guys, I tell you, this centurion, in a moment when the Bible says Jesus gets excited and he marvels over this man, this is why. Because he got it. He got what all the Jews, most of the Jews missed then and they missed today. And that is Jesus is who he says he is. He validated it. He substantiated it by his miracles and by the wonderful things that he did. And yet they still obstinately rejected him, and they folded their arms. They said, but wait, wait a minute. You cannot be, blah, 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 blah. And the centurion says, no, he is. He really is who he says he is. He is under the authority of Almighty God. He is God come to us. Great theology right here by the centurion. So much so that Jesus heard it, and Jesus marveled. Wow. You want to make Jesus marvel? Be humble. Believe and pray. God is attracted to weakness. God is attracted to humility. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, watch this, amen. In the Greek, it is that Hebrew transliteration, A-M-E-N. Now, whenever Jesus prefaces what he's about to say with amen, is how you say it really in Greek, amen. When he does that, everything the Son of God says is always important, but whenever he prefaces it with, hey, 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 listen up, guys. Hold on just a second. Ho, ho, listen to me. Are y'all listening over here? You with me? You guys okay? Y'all listen to me? How about you guys? Y'all understand what? Okay, hold on just a second. Listen. Listen to me carefully, because what I'm about to say is utterly important. That's, that's the dynamic equivalent in English. Amen? Assuredly. I say to you, now remember, who is you? Remember at the beginning of the message today, I, I gave you the, the background, what's going on. There's a throng of multitude of people. Jesus has stopped what he's doing, and he's dialoguing, he's interacting with this Roman centurion and, and all these Jewish people. I mean, they're just in Capernaum. They're just surrounding him. He can't hardly move because he's, the crowds are so large. And Jesus Christ looks at this centurion, this Roman, this Gentile. Hello, a Gentile, not, not a Jew. 
Not the royal blood of the Israelites flowing through his veins. He's like you and me, brothers. He's a Gentile. And Jesus says, hello, everybody. Let me have your attention. That's what he did. He said, amen. And everybody goes, uh-oh. Assuredly, I say unto you that I have not found such great, say it with me, faith. Not even in Israel. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said that, I bet that centurion about passed out. I bet he almost fainted, going, wow, the Son of God has just given me the most remarkable compliment that I've ever received in my life. I want to tell you something. While the centurion was doing this, the Jewish people was doing this. Let me do it again. When the centurion was doing this, because you're going to do one or two today, okay? (laughs) You do one or the other. You do this, or you do this. The centurion is bowed before Jesus. His heart is broken. He's humble. He understands who Jesus is. And many of the Jews, man, they got their arms crossed. And they're like, how dare you insult us like that? How dare you say that a Gentile, this uncircumcised Philistine, is more spiritual than I am? Oh, my word. I tell you, God, don't strike that preacher dead. Just, I'm telling you guys, they were mad. They were angry because Jesus had the audacity to say that a Gentile had more faith and belief than they did. And then Jesus wasn't finished. And this is what I like about Jesus. He'll make you mad and he don't care. Because when he makes you mad, he's doing it for a reason. He's trying to pierce your hard outer shell of pride and entitlement and your understanding. And he's trying to pierce it through with divine revelation. And, and this is what he said. Many will come from east and the west. That's, that's Jesus' way of saying from all over the globe. Okay? From east and the west, and they will sit down with the patriarchs. Hey, listen, guys. Whenever you mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's only one religion you're talking about. That is the Jewish religion. They're going to come from all over the planet, and they are going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Hear what Jesus is saying. Heaven is going to be populated. It's going to be full of people just like this raw bone centurion. I got this old centurion. I bet he's just freaking out by now. I bet he's going... I mean, he's just probably going, what, did Jesus forget why I was here? Is he really going to heal my servant? But Jesus uses him as an object lesson to preach to a larger audience. But the sons of the kingdom, can can I just, let me me read it, then I'm going to translate it for you. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into utter darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Translation, centurion, you're going to heaven and they all are going to hell. Do you hear me? Sir, with your simple childlike faith, Gentile as you are, you're considered a dog by these righteous religious people. You're going to heaven, and all of you are going to hell. You're going to be cast out into outer darkness. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's why. Because this guy understands who I am, and you refuse to believe that I am who I say I am. 
By the way, you don't preach like that if you're trying to build a big crowd. <laughs> but you know what? Jesus was not interested in building a big crowd. He was interested in building a core group of believers who will preach the gospel and see people radically born again and to see the, the, see the kingdom of God spread throughout the planet. I, I heard this week said one preacher said, well, it was Francis Chan. Francis Chan said, this bothers me because if Jesus was here on earth, he would have a whole lot smaller church than I do. Because <laughs> Jesus preached like this, and it was hard to hear. I wish we had more Jesus preachers. I really do. I wish, I wish we had some Jesus politicians, people who would, <laughs> people who would tell us People who would tell us what we want to hear, I mean, what we need to hear, but we really don't want to hear. Listen, Jesus is brilliant. He knows exactly what He's doing. Okay, let's go back in time. Let's step back into the Sitzen Laban, to the, to the situation here. Oh, hello, Centurion. I bet you thought I forgot you, didn't you? Go on. Go home. Now watch this. This is powerful. Please don't miss this. And as according to your pistis, your faith, let it be done to you. <laughs> the centurion's going, oh, you hadn't forgotten me after all. What did you say? He said, if you believe, then it's granted. Well, we know he believed. Why? Because the Bible says the centurion's servant was made well that very moment. The Word of God teaches us a lot. And I want to share these four things with you quickly. If you'll write them down, I think they'll help you. I hope they do. I hope they encourage you. The first thing I want you to notice with me is this. When we're dealing with prayer, the proper posture of prayer is humility. We don't come before God with arrogance and entitlement. We come before God with brokenness, with humility, with desperation. God is attracted to this kind of posture, okay? Number two, believe God for the impossible. Believe God for the improbable, for the impossible. Listen, this young servant is mortally stricken. I think he's at the point, I think he's at death's door. I, I don't know what has ravaged his body. I don't know if he's fallen from a tree playing outside with the other kids. I don't know if someone attacked him, if something happened to him. I, I don't know if some demonic oppression is on him. All I know is this, that this young boy's in trouble. And unless God does a miracle, this boy's going to die. But that centurion believes that God can do a miracle. Do you? Do I? Believe God for the impossible. Number three, be at peace with whatever God tells you. Be at peace with the answer God gives to your prayer. Now, this is just me. I may be mistaken, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think that centurion would have still loved Jesus even if Jesus had said no. I really do. I think he would have said, Lord, would, would you please heal him? And Jesus, let's say the Scripture says this, Jesus took him in his arms and said, 
oh, my centurion brother, I love you, but the answer to your request is no. By the way, God does that a lot. I almost said I wish God would always say yes, but I can't say that. Because God's just smarter than me. God's just smarter than you. Will you trust Him when He tells you no? This guy would. I think he would. My favorite song in the world right now, it changes weekly, but my favorite song right now is Lauren Daigle's I Will Trust in You. Lauren Daigle's been compared. She's, somebody says she's the Christian version of Adele. And that's, that's pretty heady stuff, but you ought to listen to her. She's amazing. She's about 22, 23, somewhere in their years of age. Her debut album is How Can It Be? She said, the whole thrust behind this album is one thing. It's faith to trust in God. When she was in a sophomore in high school, Lauren Daigle, you know, we look at people sometimes and we say, wow, man, they've got it going on. I mean, she's winning all these awards. She's hanging out with all these amazing musicians and popular people. I bet she's just had a rosy life, just an easy life. No, not at all. In fact, when she was a sophomore in high school, she contracted this illness that kept her quarantined for two years. She couldn't go to school. She couldn't go to the, the activities, the football games, the proms, the formals, whatever. She couldn't do any of that. She said, because my immune system was so broken, had anyone with any kind of germ breathed on me, she said, I literally would have gotten deathly ill. So I was basically quarantined for my sophomore and junior years of, of high school. When she tried out for American Idol in 2010, she was so amazing. She made it to that final cut where it says, if you're one of these 24, you're going on TV and people are going to vote for you. And they pulled her in. They said, Lauren, you're amazing, but we're not inviting you. She was devastated. She said, but all that pales into comparison the day my grandfather died. You said, well, wait a minute, this girl's got a lot, a lot of heartache. What, what's going on with her? She said, let me tell you about my granddad. I loved him so much when I was a student at LSU, Louisiana State University. Edwin, Samora, if you're out there, that's your school. And he said, I, she said, when I, when I lived with him, I loved my granddad. But when he died, she says, my world fell apart. And, and I was just a young college student. And so I began to write these songs, and I began to think about my debut album, but when it comes to this song, Trust in You, Kristen, Turkelson, Katie, some, somebody, please, y'all, somebody please sing that song one day, okay? I'll just rise up and call you blessed. I, somebody, Terry, will you help me? Dava, Jana, Terry, somebody sing that song. Let's all sing it. It's so powerful. She said, but let me tell you the real story behind the song, I Will Trust in You. And I'll close with this. She said, I heard an story of Mother Teresa and a man that she was talking to. And the man approached Mother Teresa and said, Mother Teresa, would you pray for me? And she said, yes, I'll be happy to pray for you. What can I pray for you about? And she said, would you pray that God gives me clarity? And she goes, what? He said, yes, pray. God gives me clarity. I want to know. I don't know. And she says, of all the things you would have asked me, I would have prayed, but I will not pray for you for clarity. 
And she was, he was like, what? And he got mad. He said, you know, you've always had great clarity, and how dare you deprive me of that? I'm all I'm asking God, does God give me clarity? She said, nope. Clarity's the last thing you need. She said, he said, but no, you don't understand. You've always had clarity. She said, no, sir, hold on just a second. I've never had clarity. I've always had trust. I've never had clarity, but I've always had faith. I've always had trust. Lauren Daigle said, when I heard that, I will trust in you. The last thing I share is, don't miss heaven. Don't miss heaven through unbelief. The multitudes missed heaven because they didn't understand Jesus. They refused to believe that a carpenter was born of a virgin, was the eternal God come in the flesh, mystery of all mysteries. And they refused to believe And they missed heaven while this Gentile, this Roman soldier with his knees bowed like this, believed and accepted and prayed in faith while the multitude stood back like this and rejected him. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let's have our invitation this morning. So glad that you're here today. So glad you could enter in with me in this text. God heard our prayer. He spoke to us through His Word, the power of His Holy Spirit. And I'm inviting you who know Christ like this Gentile. You believe. You have faith. But you want to have more faith. You want to trust in God no matter what. I want to encourage you, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. Single adult, let me just tell you something. I'm glad you're here. Senior adult, teenager, student, Young couple, whoever you are, God loves you. God's for you. He is not against you. Trust in Him. Even if He says no. Even if your dreams are shattered. Trust in God. Because God knows more than you know. For those of you that don't know the Lord, you don't have that relationship with Christ, let me encourage you, don't be like the unbelieving crowd. Don't be one of those with your recalcitrant, stubborn, arms crossed, defiant look on your brow. Humble yourself. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you. He will lift you up. Would you confess to Him today your need? If you're here today and you've never asked Christ to be your King, your Savior, your Lord, would you tell Him today, God, I love you, you're the boss, I'm not. I give you my life. Would you do that? Oh, would you do that today? And here at Great Hills, we, we stand in a moment and we have a, what we call a public invitation. And that's where we invite you to come and let us encourage you. Let us pray for you. There'll be people. There'll be pastors. There'll be counselors, deacons. There'll be people up here at the front. And if you come and you, you take one of them by the hand and just say, hey, you know, pray with me. My, my burden is heavy. Or rejoice with me. My joy is full. Whatever it is. We'll celebrate with you. We'll we'll mourn with you. We'll pray with you. Would you come? Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for what you're about to do. Thank you that you're an awesome God. You're a good, good Father. That's who you are. It's just who you are. We give you praise. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet, as you sing a a wonderful song, would you come? Even now. God bless you. Would you come? Come on. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. Even now.